to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R. We're going to be um, looking in Acts chapter 8, carrying on with our study. Um, and so this is uh, where um, we're going to see Philip, um, uh, just just for, for no other reason than just understanding the gospel that's come to him, the salvation. Man, if, it's, if the gospel has come to me, it, it didn't stop with me. Um, it, it's on its way to other people. Because we saw in Acts 1.8 that that was the picture that, that Jesus said before he lifted off and ascended to heaven, that he said, uh, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you in power. And so, so that, that, that power, that word, that come, the Holy Spirit is what happens when Philip enters into Samaria and he preaches the gospel. The power shows up and changes lives that were completely happy and completely content in, in false belief and in very wrong ideas of God. And so um, a beautiful picture there. And when we were singing that, that, that first, or the, the, the last song or the second song that we sang, picture um, in that uh, his love is greater still. Um, well, I took a picture of it. Uh, but that picture of... Um, I expected disappointment, but love was all I received. So you may feel that as a Christian sometimes, like, man, I've messed up, I've blown up, I've messed up a relationship, sinned against God, and, and all I expect is disappointment, but, but your love was what I got instead. Um, the Jews, they completely looked at the Samaritans and were going, what a disappointment. What, what a disappointment and disgust that you are. Um, the, the Samaritans felt that feeling that they feel of the shame, like knowing that people look down on you, knowing that people look on you and are judging you for things and the shame that's involved with that. Um, I know I'm just a disappointment. I know I'm just a disappointment. I know I'm just a disappointment. But, but for, for God to go, no, no, you're not a disappointment. I love you still. Love is greater still. That's exactly what's going on with these Samaritans. Um, this section covers some, some um, important things that we can think through that are very pertinent in our, our time also. Um, for centuries, so just know that this has been talked about ever since, even, even early on with, with, with this church, but also um, going forward in the 2nd century, 3rd century. Um, this particular section talks about um, a couple of big points. Um, first of all, the, the question that's been asked repeatedly is, why does Luke include this? What is the author's intent? of including. Why, why does he insert this little story of Simon Magus in this? Um, does Luke Simon as a contrast between true salvation, which we see with the Samaritans, and so that some people believe that, that Luke does this. He says, hey, Philip goes in, shares the gospel. Samaritans believe, oh, let me introduce you to this guy about Simon. And then the next part is uh, kind of sandwiching. Here's Simon. Samaritans believe. Simon supposedly believe. Then Philip goes to the Ethiopian eunuch and there's salvation with them. And so they believe. And so some people go that, that Luke and the Holy Spirit purposely did true, true belief, true salvation, the Samaritans, false salvation, contrast that with false salvation of another true salvation to give us a picture of what salvation is. Um, there's also some people that, that believe that, hey, Simon maybe is, is, is not uh, a loss that he is truly saved um, and so we'll look at that I'll try to do a just job of of not just um, making a quick determination on that but let, let's let the let's learn how to let the scriptures speak for them instead of just just jumping to a conclusion real quickly um, so um, we're going to look at that and we're also going to look at those ideas of what is um, true saving faith what, what does it look like when true um, gospel proclamation happens and there is true saving faith we're going to look at those marks of true saving faith um, but then also but the bigger Simon and then even the bigger point of, um, of of what's true saving faith can we see most importantly that God is being faithful that God is smiling down on this going I'm sending salvation it doesn't matter about your doctrinal point about Simon and how many points you have for or against it doesn't matter uh, about those 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 as God is bringing people into his kingdom just like Jesus had said and so I'm going to read um Acts 8, and we're going 9 through 25. And so um, 
In verse 9, it says, there was a, a man named Simon. I'm sorry, it says, but there was a man named Simon. So if you go back backwards from that, and you before that, um, it talked about Philip going into Samaria. He proclaimed to them Christ. Crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said. Um, unclean spirits were crying out with loud voices. Um, many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. And then this is why a lot, a lot of scholars would say there's this. But, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. Him Because for a long time, he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that, that Samaria had received the word of God, that just means that they had uh, had people that come to faith, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Not yet fallen on any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So that brings up that question. So we have salvation that happens previously, and the Holy Spirit has not fallen on them. So that's another kind of theological question there. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was giving, I'm sorry, then they laid their hand to receive the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought that you God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So let me pray. Father, we come to you asking for uh, wisdom and truth and, and knowing how this significantly plays into our times with many people around us who believe that they are saved who assume that they are saved, maybe presuming upon grace, but yet show no signs in, uh, of salvation, show no signs of worshiping Christ, show no signs with God, no desires of God, but yet think that they are fine, and yet instead show just the opposite. No fruit of the Spirit, but instead uh, lots of fruit of the flesh. Um, God, we also have questions on the Spirit's work and that um, there's surrounding us lots in this area who believe that uh, there is a first but then there's a second step where the, the Holy Spirit fills us later on. And some of those would even say that if, if one's not filled with the Spirit and speaking in tongues or other miracles and signs, that, that they're not truly saved. And so we need clarity on that, Lord. Um, but mo most of all, Lord, from those doctrinal points, we want you for you bringing salvation. That, that, that the cross of Christ is what stands. Um, the cross of Christ is what is redeeming these people. And we thank you that that is the bigger picture, that you are faithful, that this same gospel that moves the, to the Samaritans would move to eventually Antioch and from Antioch to the ends of the earth, which would be us. And so we thank you that the gospel has uh, moved in a powerful way, that the kingdom of God has moved towards us and that we have received that. Help us to treasure you and worship you in that work. In your name we pray, amen. So um, the first thing to look at is let's study of Simon Magus um, um, says that there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic. So um, this magic that he practiced was of the, the dark arts. This was tied to satanic work. And so that's one of the things that people don't realize. They're just saying he's just doing a little fun magic. But um, um, for many, 
They, this, is, this is clearly uh, the works of some of the satanic stuff, uh, the wording there, it, it, it leads to that. Um, Simon was involved in these uh, sorcery and spiritual works. Um, they were clearly forbidden in the scripture, and it also delves into the demonic and satanic occult practices. Um, and, and so in a, a, a satanic work versus uh, any kind of work of God. Now, he, he also refers to himself. Notice he refers to himself as Simon the Great, but also the people, they saw the works that he was doing and uh, the wording there, uh, specifically the way it, it words it, when he's saying there that um, he was called, let me, let me get the right wording now. Um, this man is the power of God that is called great. He was doing something that led the people to believe that he was tied to the supreme being. Now, that does not necessarily mean for these people that that was Yahweh of the Old Testament. And so, but, but he was leading them to believe, I can do all these signs and wonders, uh, all this sorcery and magic. That's how he made his living, made lots of money. And then he was doing it sometimes, not that they would say in the name of the Lord, he probably wasn't saying that, but it was tied to a, a, some sort of deity. And it could have been any deity from those that the Samaritans had kind of crossbreeded and began to worship. Could have been brought in from another place. It could have been um, just any different deity. It did not necessarily have to be Yahweh. And it probably was not uh, Yahweh from the Old Testament. Um, so he was an egotistical performer, a self-proclaimed great um, person. And so, um, just to let you know, the early years after the apostles, after all the apostles had died off and the early church fathers in the first century and second century and third century, um, this guy got titled, um, the father of all heresies. Some even, uh, they titled him the father of all Gnostic heresies. I remember Gnosticism is this, this kind of belief that there's this, uh, supernatural spiritual comes to some and only some. Uh, I don't know if it goes in, uh, a lot would disagree that it's Gnostic heresy. Um, uh, there's a lot of different books, areas in the Bible where they try to tie on. Gnosticism was something that was fought in the second and third century all the time. Um, and so a lot of times uh, some scholars just, they, they tie it all to Gnosticism. This was tied to Gnosticism. But um, they, and many don't. But he clearly was misleading people. And so you have that story. Uh, but then in verse 12, you see this beautiful picture of the gospel moving forward. So there's this introduction to, to Simon and a little bit about him. And so, again, why does Luke include this? Intent. Um, and it could be foundational for the church. Just think of churches now. Now you got a new church in Samaria. Now you got a new church in, in Judea. Now you got a new church as the churches are spreading. The, one of the things that definitely is being set as a foundation is what is true salvation? And so what is God doing and what is true salvation? See this beautiful picture of the movement of the gospel and the kingdom of God into Samaria. Um, remember, be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And they've done that six, seven, eight years. And now into Samaria. Philip takes the gospel into Samaria. You're going to be my witness in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So a beautiful picture there. Think through also, as we read this, you, you can just skim over it without thinking, how dark was it spiritually? How dark was that area? We've learned a little bit about the Samaritans, um, their, their practices. Um, they brought in uh, foreign gods. And so how dark was it with a mixture and a mixture of God of the Old Testament and definitely without Christ? And so we, we need to think through what that looked like spiritually, just this dark cloud without Christ. And, and you need to think through that also because uh, when you think through from 300 the you know the the fourth fifth sixth seventh eighth ninth tenth century. for about seven or eight hundred years uh, what we if you remember in humanities or history um, the the dark ages part of that was because the Roman Catholic Church what was the power that controlled um, what was going out about Christ and so people didn't have scriptures in their own language um, there was all those works based things in the Roman teaching to where um, it wasn't um, faith alone. By grace alone, in Christ alone, right? It was all these works. So how many people were actually saved if you don't have a true Christology? How many people are walking along, going to their mass on, on um, Saturday, going and, and hearing all these things? And so it was uh, forms of works righteousness and forms of work, works religion. And so um, just how dark was this? And yet God comes in. And just save. So think about the grace and mercy on a people completely undeserving. Um, in verse 
They believed Philip as he preached the good news. So that euangelion is the Greek there for good news, our word, the gospel, about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. So now we're getting specific about Jesus Christ, about the story of the gospel, of his life, his death, his resurrection. They're baptized after that. So you see that the powerful story of that. So that's what Acts 1.8 was saying. Uh, when you go out and proclaim this, and you're my witnesses, there's going to be power that comes with that. And remember, we learned that it wasn't just the supernatural powers, but that the supernatural powers and works, the miracles, drew people to the message about Jesus' life and ascension, and that he was returning. Um, so Philip purposely goes to Samaria, to the Samaritans who were hated and despised by the Jews, seen as disgusting, seen as God betrayers, but this is how God works. And for the early church, this was also setting a precedent. I, who was not one of the apostles, but just a faithful gospel presence, and he saw people that, that were disgusting, saw people that they had hated, Saw people that didn't deserve anything, and yet what did he do? He had compassion. Remember, we talked last week about on the map that there was routes that the Jews out to the, to the west, up to the east, they went way out to the east. If they were leaving Jerusalem to go up to Galilee, instead of going through Samaria, they had man-made rules about stay away from those dirty people. Stay away from them. Go way over here, a week out of the way. Take a week's journey out of the way to, to avoid them. They're pitiful. They're just they hear those things. They learn those things. There's these people at their dinner tables, just like ours. They get to hear if all you're listening to and all you're talking about is how disgusting, how, how stupid, how ridiculous, how gross. I can't believe little kids get discipled in that. And families get discipled in that. If we're not careful, we're getting discipled in this idea of hate. And yet Jesus said, no, I'm not taking that path. That's not what God said. That's not what the Father said. I'm going to those people. Philip following that same thing. Repeatedly, Jesus went to the Samaritans. Now, the cross hadn't happened when Jesus took his disciples there. Right? Um, he, he was talking to them. They were planting seeds that they would hear this story. And so the, 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 the wording then would have been, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And he would have different teaching times. So you can read in the Gospels different times that Jesus was there in Samaria. Samaria. So Luke wants us to see God's wonderful salvation in just like Jesus had said it would do. Setting a foundation for the church to see this, setting a foundation, foundation for missions, setting a foundation for evangelism, all because some, a, a believer decides, I want to go and share the gospel. It's not easy. I, I don't know that I'll go out there. I may go out there and hate me. I, I may go run into all kinds of hindrances and obstacles. I'm just going to be faithful. Though. I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to do that. And so Philip does that. Simon responds. We see that. Um, Simon makes a profession of faith. Um, maybe partly uh, this, the profession may be due to supernatural works. It may be some of the people just because of uh, the miracles. Um, Simon makes some sort of commitment to further teaching. He follows Philip uh, for more learning, more listening, maybe more experience. Simon is baptized just like the other Samaritans were baptized. And then Simon, after baptism, he continues to follow Philip, still amazed by the supernatural. Now, that was in his DNA. If you're a magician and you're a person who is always working with those uh, arts and uh, black magic and stuff, someone comes along with a better show than you, you, you kind of want to learn that, right? It's even more amazing and, and some, some things like that. So you can't really put that off on him that just because he was attracted to those things because God to draw people in. So now, now we get to this question, is Simon saved? And we're going to come back to the, the picture of God's work there. But, but he inserts the story of Simon there that he, he went through all these things that we would attribute to salvation also. He, is Simon saved? And is it just that he's ignorant of patterns in his life? Have you ever known believers? So let's take this to our day. Have you ever known believers who were captured by sins and powerful patterns and powerful ways? It could be things like laziness and gluttony, and jealousies, and envy. And you hear it, you see it, pause and go, man, I just don't know if they're clearly saved. Could be things just like uh, constant prideful steps that they take, constant prideful maneuvers, constant fear of man. Some people just live in fear of man. Could be uh, lusts, um, could be love of money. 
divisiveness, a worship of self. And do we always stop and go, man, that makes me wonder, are they truly saved? I think what we jump to is, oh, drug addicts, drunkenness, sexual acts, stealing, worshiping other deities. I need to question, are they truly saved? Or could they truly be saved? Have you ever known people who have professed Christ, were baptized, and even after, year, uh, even after a year or several years, still struggle with patterned sins in their life? Have you ever met people who kind of border on that you, you see some people that, that get into the church or um, use the church or use in the name of the Lord to where um, the same thing as Simon Magus. Hey, this would be a great way for God's name uh, to be used to make money, to help people, and to make much of God. Because Simon says, hey, could I purchase that, that power? Because then I could lay people, my hands on people and they would receive the gift of God, the Holy Spirit. And so we see there that there's a lot of people who, who do things like that. There are many Simons in our day that are applauded and accepted. Um, and then you ask the question, what are the marks of true saving faith? Repeatedly um, here, conviction of sin, confession, repentance, renewal, rest, rejoicing. Um, are those things that you see in your life? Are you pursuing Christ today? And then tell me what that looks like. And, and if we're not careful... Um, I, I think that we have a huge swath of people in our own time who, who measure clearly by, I do these things and I do not do these things. And then I'm really good at spiritual disciplines. But man, I, I've been a lot of, around a lot of people who were, I've been around a lot of leaders even who were phenomenal at their spiritual disciplines and phenomenal at you know, this time and this time and this time I do these things. But you go, man, hey, several people have talked to you about just your, your anger, your control your um, complete lacking compassion at all points you, you're not growing in these things but but you you can tell me what three books you went through this last year and here's what your spiritual disciplines was like but but they're, they're not growing in justice mercy and, and now in our in the last five years now you know eight years now you can even have a justification like oh if you start doing those things you're, you're probably on the slippery slope anyway and you're like, golly, it was already a weakness that people just closed their eyes and had nothing to do with in our evangelical circles. But, but now you even have justification, like you get a walk and you're just like, how do we get to this place? Are you seeing more consistent fruit of the Spirit's work in your life? Not so much what you're doing for God, all your acts and all your deeds, but are you seeing God softening your heart um, towards conviction, ongoing repentance? Transformation. Um, so some beautiful things there of trust and faith. Um, so that question, what does it look like for that person to be saved? In the next section, um, notice that it just moves on. Uh, Luke just moves on from that. And the, the, the idea of the um, leaders from Jerusalem, the apostles, to come down and confirm. Now, this is a separate situation. It's tied into the same storyline, but he, he does have a point here. Luke's intent here is um, we needed the apostles to affirm and confirm what's going on there. And that may be, uh, it sounds silly. Um, let's look at that next section in verses 14 um, through 17. Um, it, it's, it's the Holy Spirit coming, but also it's confirming and bringing unity. Um, now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, meaning that they heard that there were some salvations that happened, they on, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Spirit because he had not yet fallen on any of them. And they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then they lay their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So why would the, the apostles have to go down? Uh, this was to confirm that this was true salvation. So again, early church, for the scriptures that we've got in the New Testament, here's an early picture of this is what happened. Philip goes, shares the gospel. Um, some people get saved. Confusing because now the Holy Spirit doesn't come upon them um, just immediately. So is there a second step that the Holy Spirit to come? This, this is the case that a lot of our charismatic brothers and sisters would say. So if you've been around Assembly of God or different charismatic beliefs, they would say there's salvation, you get saved. But at a different point, now you have this situation where the Holy Spirit comes and falls on you. Maybe it's tongues. Maybe it's miracles, um, supernatural acts. And now 
So there's this two-step act. Is that true? So we have to look at this in the book of Acts to see that God is doing this, and there's no preset order that God does early in the book of Acts. So even though there, this is a scenario where they were saved, but the Holy Spirit had not filled them, that, that, that's not prescriptive for the So when, when people do that, they, they, they're trying to use Scripture to say, we see in Acts this happened three or four times, and it does, it happens three or four times. But it's not, God is not saying this is the only way and this is the correct way. There is a reason for this. Now, part of this ties into the Jerusalem church, which was the house of authority. They were built for one thing. So um, this does not give biblical grounds for the idea of, of a two-step filling of the Holy Spirit. Um, it was not necessarily strange or weird, um, Yes, since Pentecost, the new thing for the church age was that the Holy Spirit would indwell. That was not normal for the Old Testament. So uh, God fears in the Old Testament, first of all, they had no idea of Jesus and the cross, right? That God was going to send his son. Um, they had no idea. They didn't have a very clear understanding of the Trinity. They definitely didn't understand second person of the Trinity, and he's going to come in human form. Not, not even like David. They just didn't understand all that. The, the, the Spirit, when, when it would come upon, the Holy Spirit that would come upon different leaders, so Samuel or David or uh, Solomon, it would say that, and the Spirit filled them and they did something, and then the Spirit would leave them. It was intermittent, okay? So New Testament is different. At Pentecost, fill and indwell and stay with believers, but now... We have this weird case where people get saved, and he doesn't do that. So can you imagine the arguments and fights that they probably had? Like, no, this is what happened at Pentecost. I was there in that room, and it's not happening in Samaria. I told you that that's not, you can imagine the fights. And the and it got really, really, really bad. If you study church history from this point on, so in the book of Acts, when you get to Acts 15, remember the Jerusalem council was, are we going to let these Gentiles say that they're Christians when they're not Jews first. They're not going by the laws of Judaism. And so it's a huge deal. We, I mean, there, there were deaths. I mean, there's, there's threats, all kinds of fights over this. And so um, this is not saying that that was the case. These believers had believed, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. They had been baptized, but not received the Holy Spirit, and nobody was questioning their salvation. So what is God doing here? We need to understand what is God doing here in the this, this, this why would God make these um, separate occurrences? First of all, confirmation and unity. I think I have slides on that. Uh, God knowing and understanding the deep hatred and separation between Jews and Samaritans, he knew there needed to be a confirmation and affirmation from the apostles at the Jerusalem church that these salvation. The laying on of hands was not about hierarchy. And if you don't know this church history-wise, the, the line of the apostles and the last apostle so uh, with Peter and with John and different ones and, and Paul, there was where, where was, where was the connection? Where's our, the Roman Catholic church, where was our connection with? And so then, then you have the papacy, right? The Pope. And now that's the line into this day in 2024. They believe the current Pope is tied directly in, in a different way than any pastors or other churches or anything, or even all their bishops and cardinals. The Pope is the direct line from Peter, right? That's what they believe. That's not what this was saying. They've taken of this authority and power is tied to these. And they go to Matthew 16, 18 that we can talk about uh, later um, that, that you know, upon, this, upon this rock, you, Peter, um, the gates of hell will not prevail. That's their thing. There were literally wars and wars and wars of moving the seat of the Roman Catholic Church 1618, like, no, no, we're tied to Peter. No, we're tied to Paul. And they literally, you know, Constantine, all these different things over Matthew 16, 18. Um, and so God is going, I know all these problems exist. It's not about the, the thing about laying on of hands. It was an authority thing for the Jerusalem church to say, we affirm salvation that's happened here. Um, it was setting orthodoxy. Um, where hatred and disgust formerly stood, now adoption and peace and love. Think about that. God knew that because of this separation, that the, the Samaritan church might go, hey, thanks for bringing that, Philip. Go on your way. They were already confused, remember? They, were, they had half understanding. They didn't believe all the Old Testament. They only went with the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And now they would have this syncretized understanding of a, a little bit of Judaism, their own religions, and then added religions that they'd, been, that they'd brought in. That's why they were considered half. 
God fears, and now you add Jesus in the middle of that. And, and they had to wipe all that away, a clean slate, and go, this is all, you don't have to be go by the Jewish system. You do have to understand the Old Testament scriptures, but that we're, we're not going to address that right now, but you under, have to understand Christ fulfilled all the Old Testament. Christ on the cross, that was it. The life. Now, hey, Samaritan church, there's peace between us now. The Jews that are still going by Judaism, we're not a part of that. We're this new thing called the way, the Jerusalem church. And now you are equal with us. We're co-heirs with you. Um, you're, we're not above you in any way. Like we're, we're better than you, but we do have some authority because God has been working through us. And so you see this adoption and peace and love. The Samaritans would need to learn to understand that the wall of hostility had, hostility had been broken down. They were no longer considered despised or unclean or rejected. Can, can you imagine that? Like, truthfully, if, 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 if truthfully, race and ethnicity and socioeconomic like, was, was just, just completely erased to where we viewed everyone just the same, would that not be incredible? That, that, that we wouldn't have these uh, preferences and, and different statuses, love through the gospel. Um, it would also provide for a united church, so the universal church spreading, and that would be very important as the church went forward. Um, the, the Samaritans would need to understand that now it's not your own separate Samaritan church, even though it was locally separated, but that it was tied to the universal church. Jewish believers, they needed to learn that they did not have to start now practicing Judaism. Um, Jewish believers would, would learn and understand that God was including others with justification by faith alone in Christ alone. And this is setting up that as it moves further out away from the Jerusalem church. Um, go, yeah, we get all that. This, this was major, major problems. Um, it would be probably the closest thing would be like. Uh, uh, Terrorists that we look at, if we saw pictures of clear terrorists that we knew had done these things to our country, and then someone shares the gospel, and now everything's you're just a part of us. Now come to our table. Like we just couldn't imagine that. Come to our table. You're you're with us now. Complete forgiveness. You've been you've been renewed. That that would be hard for us to understand and believe. So you're having this expanding and establishing also, expanding the kingdom and establishing. Um, God was in the work of establishing um, his, his kingdom and the church there. There needed to be order and authority and the power of the Spirit moving forward. And they didn't even know exactly what that looked like. Um, God had done the same thing for thousands of years with the Old Testament tabernacle and temple worship. Um, we'll, con we'll continue to see this with, with Peter and other um, God using signs and wonders and miracles to draw attention and affirm that the message of the gospel about Jesus was from God. In establishing the church... Think through all the new changes. There was, there's no ritual. Put down your Judas, Judistic uh, rituals. They're resting in Christ instead. You and your family don't have to come up here on Saturday and bring this dove or bring this animal for a sacrifice. One sacrifice was made. Hey, we have free time on Saturday because of Christ. Like, that's probably pretty joyous for a lot of people, right? Like, you don't have to do those rituals anymore. Do we have to go to the temple anymore? No, just go to the synagogue and about Jesus, don't go to the synagogue where they're still teaching Old Testament Jewish stuff. It's now all fulfilled in Jesus. Man, do we don't make sacrifices anymore. We don't have to do the temple worship in that form. What about all of our dietary laws? Nope, and, and we're about to see this in Acts with Peter. Remember when he shows in the vision that I've heard before that were unclean, everything is clean. And that was, that, was, that, was, that was a bigger picture, not about what you can eat and touch. It was a bigger picture of salvation has come to these people that you consider unworthy and dogs, the Gentiles. Um, so he's establishing that in the church. Instead of having to go to a priest or a Levite, all believers, you didn't have to present your prayers to a priest and they would go in the Holy of Holies and pray. No, instead, you can now pray to Christ because the veil was torn, Right? Um, so some beautiful stuff there. God's expanding that in Jerusalem and, and establishing that in Jerusalem. And now he's expanding the kingdom and establishing the church in Samaria. This establishment phase is an incredibly difficult time. So in church planting, same situation. Laying the foundation is some of the most difficult work. When you see, um, if you notice, um, when, when you hear that a new, a new place is going to be built, like over here at 71st, I think I've heard that the new, there's going to be a new REI over by uh, REI. Uh, 
And so how long did they, when you saw the fences go up, how much work went into that for months and months and months and months? The foundation of all the dirt work, the foundation of that place, uh, preparing all those foundations. And then once the building starts, it goes up really quickly, right? It's real quick for that. But months and months and months and months of work, God was doing that. We're the beneficiaries of that. Um, so I'm going to skip. There's a part that, that where it shows the same thing with Paul on this idea of um, that why does the Spirit come in two different places? But notice they had been they'd only been baptized in the name of Jesus. That is confusing for people. Um, baptism in the name of Let's think back before this. What had people heard stories about? John the Baptist, and there were some other guys that were doing this. And then Jesus comes on the scene. He is baptized. And then what was Jesus and his disciples doing? They were teaching a, a, a whole understanding of repent for the kingdom, kingdom of heaven is here. Not, hey, repent, cross, because that wasn't even out there yet. That was still concealed. That would be eventually revealed, but there's this aspect of the kingdom. There's a concealing going on that draws you into a, a revealing. And so the concealing was, hey, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near, it's here. Now you need to consider your life and turning from sin and turning to God. Stand the cross and then... A year later, two years later, you hear about this event in Jerusalem. They go, that's what that was talking about. He covered your sins. Your sins are forgiven because of the, that, that carpenter dying on the cross sin. That's what repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He was near. He was with us. The kingdom is now here. He's our new king. And that's what they were declaring. Now, now, in Matthew 28, we know that Jesus was clear. Baptize them and then he said, go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Trickling down. That probably just didn't get to these early situations. So when they would baptize someone, they didn't say, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which we always are pretty careful to do. For doubt, did it mean that the baptism was void? Not at all. Uh, There's places where that kind of didn't get trickled down, and they would just say, we're baptizing in the name of Jesus. And so it was a picture of the cross for them, and they were making that significant expression. It did not devalue their baptism. Um, in, in the story of Paul in Acts 19, he gets there, he's like, he runs traveling through with his crew and there's these people and they're disciples of jesus and he's like hold it you guys have been saved and they're like yeah and he's like um hey have, have you guys received the holy spirit and they're like we did not know there was a holy spirit so again like this is you know the 60s 70s and they didn't even understand the holy spirit like, we did not know there was a holy spirit he's like, yes we were we were just baptized in the name of jesus Oh, okay, what did that mean? Well, we had put our life in allegiance to Christ. And so there's that understanding, lordship, salvation. So that's all on um, just that confusing aspect. I hope that helps to understand um, what that means. It, the, the, is there a two-step people getting saved and then you need to be filled? We have brothers and sisters. I've, I've, I've had guys in the last year, I've probably had two guys this last year, three or four the year before, that you know, lovingly, smiling, kind of jokingly like, well, I know you guys don't believe, but you know, uh, we've been thinking if you'd come to this thing with us, man, you could get filled with the Spirit. You know, and so you just, they don't realize how what kind of statement that is against you that you're not filled with the Spirit now. And here are these signs that, that you must be doing. And just to let you know that that, that is not the case. Um, so the question, is there a two-step process? There's not. You don't have to first get saved and then um, have the Holy Spirit fill you with... with um, On true salvation and false salvation, I think that what this leads to, this story with um, Simon, um, going back to the story of Simon that we're going to go into now because now Peter's going to confront this, um, it's supposed to be a warning. Um, scholars argue back and forth on whether this, again, was where Luke's intent was to say, let's show true salvation, Samaritans. Simon thinks he's saved. Now let's show a picture of Simon offering to, to try to buy and purchase the power of God, false salvation, and then Philip going to the Ethiopian eunuch, true salvation. True salvation, compare it with false salvation. And that some people lay that out, and so maybe fitting. Um, I, don't, I don't actually, I don't believe that the Scripture, I don't think the Scripture's, um, explicitly bring that out. I don't think there's enough evidence in the scriptures to say that Luke was saying that he was unsaved. Uh, I don't think that, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, that Peter was saying that he was Now, I do have some information for you if you're kind of up in the air, like I, I don't know, that in church history, there's some reveal, things revealed about Simon Magus after this point. But I, don't, I, I think that maybe Luke was doing this, maybe he was holding some of this out. But what he's clearly wanting the church to consider is what are the marks of true salvation? So it says, now Simon 
Simon saw in verse 18 there that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands. Um, he offered them money. Give me this power. So Simon sees the power. Simon loves the power. Notice that. So remember I've said repeatedly, you are what you love, and we think that we love God the most, but actually there may be that maybe my life and my time shows that I have a very tiny, tiny love for God, but I don't like to look at that. I don't like to be confronted with that. And so Simon, very clearly, at least he's honest. You know, I mean, that's one of the things. I'm around a lot of people who, who, who would assume that they can still um, inappropriate things, check out women in inappropriate ways, do all kinds of things, and, and, and their company and their politics and all these things. There's nothing, 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 nothing of Christ-likeness. But they'll t- tell me that, well, oh, but I go to this place. I go to this place. Uh, we attend this church. And I'm just like, there's nothing in your life that looks like Christ. And just, he just reacts real quickly. Um, he sees the power. He loves the power. And he wants to purchase the power. Give me this power is what he says. Um, and so after all the post-apostolic writings, um, the first three centuries, they named this Simon of Acts the father of heresies. Um, so think through, and it's even the word, if you've heard of simony before, simony in a narrow sense is this idea in those first um, thousand years where simony was this idea of I could buy and purchase this um, from God. Now, the Roman Catholic Church struggled with this. Um, Peter has a real strong, let's, let's look at this idea here, um, but we have to think through Here's this guy who sees God doing something and then kind of steps in and goes, hey, I enjoy that stuff. I like the supernatural things. I could make money off it, provide for myself. But also, he says, let's, let's do that in the name of the Lord, that, that I could lay and they could receive this. It would be for God. Do you know how many books there are in our day addressing guys who either go into ministry or men and women who lead ministries hoping for great riches, quick fame, Huge influence, huge power, huge popularity. Like that's that's taught in some places. Um, I got married, and uh, a guy that was at the wedding, literally, literally our wedding night, he pulled me aside. He goes, "I heard you guys are looking at going in the ministry," and I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Man, there's good money in the ministry. There's good money." And I just thought that that was interesting because we, I was already a, a full time youth pastor with zero pay. We were we were all. It all the time, but we we didn't get a check from the church on that, and so um, it was interesting. I was like, "Man, that's that's a different view." Um, do you know how many nonprofits or for profits use the name of the Lord as a way to get into pockets of evangelicals? Think through how many either nonprofits or just just uh, for profit business, and they use God talk or in the name of the Lord or use things that evan- evangelicals value. We want to have the same values to get into their pockets. Man, can you imagine what would happen if some political force got a hold of Simon's ideas? That'd be a step. Peter comes with a very strong rebuke. Peter said, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot with this matter. For you, your heart is not right before God. Think through. Does Peter's rebuke you believe that Simon was definitely not a believer? Those words don't necessarily mean that he's not a believer. Let's think through Peter. Think that, that what he just said. You have no part or lot with us, right? Well, think through the Last Supper. Um, here's three examples of Peter's zeal that led to um, eventually... Remember the Last Supper when, when Jesus, so we're at the Last Supper, it's uh, Passover, and um, he starts washing the disciples' feet. What does Peter say? Oh, no, 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 Lord. You, you can't wash my feet. Jesus reports to him the same thing that he just said. Hey, if I don't wash your feet, me. Now, Jesus was not saying, you're not saved, Peter, or you can't be saved, Peter. He was showing, hey, Peter, I appreciate your zeal and your passion, but, but you're misunderstanding the plan of God. You, you think that your quick answer and your zeal and passion is going to be the thing. And, and no, it's not. You're, you're, get behind me. The famous Matthew 16, 18. Um, this is the prototype of faith where Jesus asked them, um, hey, who do you say that I am? And remember, Jesus said, hey, other people are talking about who I am and who do you guys say that I am? Matthew 16, 18. And, and Peter, quick. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Bingo, you're right. 
And so he goes into this long thing. Um, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you. On this rock I will build my church, meaning on your, your faith. You know, I, I, it's a play on the word Peter and, and, and Simon to, to rock. I, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Directly into, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and be put to death by the, the Jewish leaders. And what does Peter say? Um, far be it from you, Lord. It says, it says there in 16, 22 through 23, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Hey, Jesus, come here for a second. Can you imagine this? Peter getting him, going off to rebuke and correct Jesus. And what does he say to him? Get behind me, Satan. Just a second ago, bingo, you nailed it, Simon Barjona. Way to go. You had, you're exactly right. Get behind me, Satan. Like, can you imagine Peter just like, golly. You know, and so, so he, he, you're the bigger picture of God's eternal plan. And so um, also, uh, he says, you're a hindrance to me. You're setting your minds on things, not on things of God, but on the things of man. So strong and passionate and zeal, but off the mark, you still miss the mark. And then remember the fish taco breakfast after the resurrection. He goes, hey, Simon. Remember the, the, the guys are out in the, the boat? And what does Simon do? I want to be first. Rips off his clothes, jumps into the water. Remember? Man, gets up there. God, I want to show Jesus. I want to show these guys. What does Jesus start with? Hey, Simon, do you love me more than these? Think through that. Was Jesus affirming that actually Peter loved Jesus more than these? Not at all. He wasn't measuring that. He wasn't affirming. Peter, I know you love me more than these. He's going, Peter, I think that you think in your heart, that you love me more than these. Jesus is hinting on something there. It's the spiritual pride in Peter that, that you would see repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. Do you love me more than these? He was not affirming that that was true. He was revealing what was in Peter's heart. Peter did see himself as better than the rest. And the point is, yet you still betrayed me. If you get the right answers, but you still betray me. The others didn't betray me like this. So, so we know that Peter has these strong, passionate words. Peter has a tendency to, to jump forward and, and say something and, and respond real quickly with a lot of passion or zeal and maybe good-hearted leads to something that ends up leading to repentance is needed because you've got out of line there. Um, man, aren't you grateful and thankful that one single sentence out of your mouth? Let me buy this, you know. Uh, it, it doesn't lead to you um, being recorded for all history of the world to hear and judge. One mistake you made was not recorded for everyone to read. One, one act that you participated in was not recorded for all to see. And so um, the scriptures don't necessarily lead to um, the idea that Simon was definitely not saved. He, it, it, in fact, it probably leads, and I remember Luke who wrote the, the, the book of, several times in the book of Luke and the, the gospel of Luke. Luke tells a story about Jesus, and then he leads it. He leaves the story unfinished. So, like for example, the prodigal God, younger brother comes back, repents, father brings him in. Older brother, the story's left open, without telling you what the older brother did, and what. And the older brother needs to repent. The father's saying, "I'm here for you," and we just go on to the next story. And so, some believe that, that Luke does that purposely. His style of writing is to press on the audience, to press on readers, listeners, to think through. What would you do? You need to repent in this. So, um, other on to say, you know, Simon's If you look at Simon's response in that, um, Peter says to him and directs him to repent. You repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours. Pray to the Lord that the intent of your heart may be, be forgiven. It doesn't necessarily mean that, that he's, it sounds like even that, that uh, Peter believes he's possibly a believer and saying, you need, you didn't understand this, but this was not good. They, they would point to and say that Simon, that, that Simon says, hey, you pray for me. And so that he doesn't have an understanding of that. Again, I don't even take that as a strong meaning that he, he couldn't be saved. I know believers all the time that say, hey, pray for me. So I don't know that the biblical account gives enough evidence to whether he was saved or not. Luke's point, like I said, uh, extra biblical writers though. Justin Martyr was one of the most famous church historians. Um, um, he writes of this same Simon building a following after this event, and he continues on working miracles in the name of God, and it grew to where it not only in Samaria, but a huge following 
him to Justin in Rome. So he was, he was using this, uh, these same spiritual powers. And so there, there's a question like that. It was probably not the, the power of the Holy Spirit there, but Justin Martyr records that he was a historian saying he gathered a huge following. Also the apocryphal book, because apocryphal meaning that it's not in our book, 66, it's in the Roman Catholic Bible. And so, um, the, the acts of Peter not included in our Bible. That's the name of the book, the acts of Peter. He's noticed, noted as corrupting further Christians in Rome due to his false teachings and his influence and had brought many problems between the believers and the Roman government. And so this was Peter. Um, it was not biblical. This is not inspired word of God. But the, the story in that, in the, the Acts of Peter, Simon continues to have later confrontations with Peter over supernatural powers in several instances. And then uh, Clementine's recognitions and homilies, this same Simon not only is recorded to have arguments with Peter, um, but he also spreads false reports about Paul to early Christians and groups in Rome and other places. So it seems that Luke may have had some more information and in that case, if then if you add these historical, extra biblical historical figure, is it now that you see Luke's intent of going, I lay this evidence out there. Are, are you walking with God? Are you repenting? So a serious and on a serious ongoing matter because there's so many people around us who think that they're saved, but they're actually not saved. Um, so in, in closing there, um, the last thing I'd mention is notice just a quick summary statement in verse 25 testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Luke just leaves the story wide open, does not say that how Peter responds to Simon, doesn't say what Simon actually ended up doing, and he moves on just to say, and the gospel moves forward. And as, as the apostles now are taking situation they go through other samaritan villages to spread the gospel instead of avoiding them they go on and so the gospel is spreading judea and samaria to the ends of the earth so in those closing walkaways are you seeing god's desire for people of all backgrounds all nations all people groups all languages to repent and be are you seeing deeper amazement in god's redemptive plan then also just going to consider what are the marks of true saving faith for, the, for, for your own life, for the, the, your family, for, for the people around you? Do, do you see marks of true saving faith? Is there a danger in having a salvation that is false? Um, and, and thinking through our in the Bible Belt. And then how do I pray and engage with those around me who may have false security? What, what kind of conversations can I go to? Do you have clarity on how the Holy Spirit may have worked uniquely in this period, but was not setting a prescriptive experience for the church and believers? And then also, have you received this salvation? Do you need to be baptized? So let me pray as Brad comes up and leads us in this final song. You take some time to look over those things and consider those to take those with you.